What you're about to experience is one man's quest to see beyond the tumultuous period we're in and to envision what lies just beyond our grasp, yet well within our reach. Welcome to Larry Rifkin's America Trends, where the future has arrived, and it's just in time. With us on America Trends is James Goodall, and he is the author of 29 published books. The one we're going to focus on today is called Nautilus to Columbia, 70 Years of the U.S. Navy's Nuclear Submarines. And what a year to be talking about this, and we'll get to what's been going on with the silent service, if you will, in 2023. But your book is just a beautiful collection of photographs and uh, information about this uh, submarine group uh, driven by nuclear power. And let's go back to the Nautilus and uh, Hyman Rickover and the importance of what he did right here in my home state of Connecticut uh, at the electric uh, boatyard in Groton, Connecticut. Tell us about that. Well, I mean, the, the Navy was looking for uh, for ways to take a submarine and and have it independent of the surface. Uh, in the past, it only went underwater during the day. At night, it was on the surface, uh, charging its batteries. Uh, it left it very vulnerable, and there had to be a better way. And the uh, nu- you know, nuclear power, nuclear energy was just in its infancy back in the uh early 1950s, and Hyman Rickrover had an idea that he he thought he could help design a nuclear reactor small enough and efficient enough to fit inside the hull of a submarine. And what made it attractive was you wouldn't have to surface at night, and you could go underwater, you know, stay underwater until you ran out of food was the metric they used. Where do you have to go back to port or go find a, uh, a supply ship? And that's when you ran out of food because the submarine, the nuclear reactor, produced breathable air and water. So the only the only limiting factor keeping the crew under the, uh, the surface was, you know, the advent of the nuclear reactor in the submarine. And, and, it's, and it's a perfect, if it's a, if it's a perfect place for a nuclear reactor, because you're underwater, so if there's an accident, God forbid, I'm not going to cause the entire neighborhood to become radioactive. Or yeah, and, but yet there have there have been no nuclear accidents in 67 years. And the and the two accidents, the, the Thresher and Scorpion, uh, had nothing to do with the reactors. Yeah, it had to do with uh, one. On the Thresher was the the design of uh, emergency blow system, and what had happened with that? They had gone they had gone down very very deep, and for something happened, and and they they needed to do an emergency blow, and when they did it, nothing happened. The the, the air that was in the ballast tanks had a lot of moisture in it, 
and if you if you blow if you blow air through a uh, like a Ventura, mm-hmm. it could it that's that's basically how you get to refrigeration. You ha- you have uh, expanding gases, and it freezes. And what happened is the uh, the emergency blow system that which blows the water out of the the, the forward and aft ballast tanks. That those lines froze up solid, and they just kept they just kept sinking. And at a uh, they figured about eleven of about ten thousand feet, the submarine imploded. I mean, it literally just and the crew the crew didn't suffer. It it was uh, it was instant when it happened, but it was tragic. And and, and but the Navy learned a lot of lessons. Uh, they you know they. Uh, of course, Rick Rover was involved. This is one of his babies. Mm-hmm. And they had, you know, they went in and, and they did, uh, an analysis of, analysis of what went down based on the, on, uh, the photography. They went in with a deep diving, uh, uh, I think it was the Alvin. They went down to the 10,000 feet and they could, they could see the, you know, the, the rubble or at least the photographs they had done a, uh, Showed all the damage, and they came to the conclusion that some of the welds were not uh, X-rayed, and the there were too many bends in the tubes, which uh, which gave them uh, an area where they could clog up if uh, if the uh, air was not totally dry. I mean, it was it was all sorts of screw ups. And that, and they learned a lot. And, and they're, other than the scorpion, the scorpion, they figure a, uh, torpedo just went, went on and they went and they fired it to get rid of it. And they, uh, and it, they think the homing device made it come, come right back or go looking for a, a noise. And the, you know, the, the, uh, scorpion was the only sub down there and it came and hit him. So he shot, it blew itself up. Okay. Well, I I don't want to dwell on those two because they really are the exception. I mean, we're talking about a form of uh, propulsion and a uh, nuclear submarine class and different classes within where it has given the United States a tremendous naval advantage over the period of time where we've really been patrolling the seas across the world, has it not? No one has submarines that can match the Seawolf Virginia class or the 688Is, the improved uh, Los Angeles class. They are the quietest submarines in the ocean. The Seawolf slash Virginia class at 25 knots submerged is quieter than a 688I is tied up to the pier. (laughs) That's amazing. And so what is it uh, you know, aside from the stealth nature and the silent nature, what does that allow America to do around the globe? For example, right now as we speak, uh, there's a lot of activity with our carrier fleets uh, in the Mediterranean, the Red Sea area, as this uh, Gaza-Israeli situation unfolds. Uh, but we don't hear anything about our submarines and where they are. And there's a purpose and a reason for that. Though, again, there have been some admirals of late saying, we better let them know what kind of deterrent this is. Otherwise, they won't think it's a deterrent if we keep it too silent. How do you look at that? 
the the Russians, the Chinese, and the North Koreans and the Iranians are all very familiar with the capabilities of the United States Navy submarines. They don't they don't have an anti-submarine. I'm talking about Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea. Those are those are the bad guys we're talking about. They don't have an, an a anti-submarine ASW operation in their navies. So all they have are their very noisy submarines and surface ships to go looking for our submarines. Now they can go down the the Sea Wolf. Uh, it goes down to about 2,000 feet. There's no need for it to be down there, but it has that capability. Virginia class, you're looking at 1,200 feet, uh, and that's called test depth. Uh, they go much deeper than that, but there's a telltale sign on the uh, crews when they get back to Pearl Harbor or get back to uh, somewhere in the East Coast. If you've gone too deep in a, in a United States Navy submarine, uh, the telltale sign is if it's a you know, later models, Los Angeles class, they have what they, uh, their acoustical tiles, the rubber with uh, mm-hmm. sound absorbent material inside, and they're and they're concaved if they've gone too deep. The pressure is so deep it just it squeezes, you know, mm. it squeezes all those things down. And so it's a tell, telltale sign, and and you get a lot of trouble if you do that. I mean, the subs are, are just, in, unless you're trying to avoid a, uh, an adversary. Now, the thing, the things about, if you've had an opportunity to go through uh, today's you know, United States Navy submarines, any of the new ones, uh, the Seawolf of Virginia class, and uh, starting in 2030, you know, we're looking at 2029, we're looking at the Columbia class, which is the replacement for the Ohio boats. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're 560 feet long and 40, you know, 42 feet in diameter. And just think about that. That is, you know, that is taller than the Statue of Liberty. You know, we're we're looking at something that that is you know, over 20 tons submerged, 20,000 tons, excuse me, 20, 20,000 tons submerged. That's a big piece of equipment, and it's absolutely undetectable by what our adversaries have as far as anti-submarine warfare. The everything within the newer subs, nothing touches the hull. If you have an opportunity to tour one and you're and you're you're looking at you can see some of the areas where the internal modules as you call them, they're hung from the top of the hull off of big rubber shock mounts. In you, everywhere you go, everything is isolated from the hull or anything that connects to the hull. Either they're on a certain type of springs, and it's not really springs. You get your uh, cable, your steel cable, and they they bend that around, and that's actually a platform that they put equipment on, and it absorbs the vibration. They have uh, special materials. Uh, you know, Vibration dampening uh, pads on virtually everything. I don't want to get too yeah. technical, but right. what what does this allow us, practically speaking? We have 220 plus of these uh, submarine hulls built and delivered to the U.S. Navy uh, from the time of the Nautilus uh, through the newest class of the submarine. What is the capability? of some of those adversaries that you mentioned as it relates to nuclear subs of their own. They can't 
really get at ours, but what do they have patrolling uh, the seas uh, with along with us? Well, it, that that's what's comical. The, the the only adversary we have is Russia. The Chinese ballistic boats, when they start them up in China, they can pick up the noise out of uh, uh, Whidbey Island, where the, the Navy has their anti-submarine warfare unit uh, there on the west coast. You, hmm. They can pick they can pick up the noise <laughs> of a really? of a Chinese submarine. Oh yeah, you know they you they, they rattle their swords and we they say we have this and we have that and. And we, it's, it's sort of comical. We, comical. We sort of laugh at them. No one has the submarine capabilities of the United States Navy. Uh, not even close. No, no matter what metric you use to, to measure them, you know the Russians. Uh, the Russians, actually, the former Soviet Union, uh, their subs, their metallurgy was better than us at at the time. And they had access to titanium sponge, so a couple of their really, really fast or real, real deep diving subs were made and had titanium hulls. What we use in today's submarines, they call it HY-100. That means it's a specialized steel that will not deform up to 100,000 PSI. That's pounds per square inch. And when our military equipment go, go out, to war or to protect America, they're built like Swiss watches. I mean, everything about them. The Russians, where it has to be really good, they're good. But everything else is second rate. The same with the Chinese, and same with the with the Iranians and the North Koreans. They, now, you know, I, I do I do want to ask you when we look at this whole fleet of submarines that we're talking about, the nuclear powered ones. And by the way, the book is called Nautilus to Columbia. And again, if you're an aficionado of this kind of material, uh, this is just remarkable. This book. I mean, first of all, you could get a hernia lifting it, uh, but the <laughs> photography and all is uh, amazing. Seventy years of the U.S. Navy's nuclear submarines. James Goodall is with us, the author. Now, it has all these different capabilities for us, practically speaking. The fleet ballistic missile subs, the anti-submarine warfare, anti-surface operations and surveillance, uh, something called fast tracking. So this submarine fleet has multiple missions. What do you consider to be the primary purpose of these, practically speaking, if we did have an engagement with one of these adversaries, let's say Russia, they they wouldn't know what hit them. They you know they only built three Sea Wolf class boats. This is a Cold War boat. They were going to build twenty-seven of them. They ended up building three. But the Sea Wolf and the Virginia uh, and the uh, USS Connecticut are the two operational boats. The third boat is the Jimmy Carter. And they needed a replacement for the Parchy, which is a spook boat. But the, th the thing about the thing about our submarines, the biggest deterrent we have are the Ohio class. We have they carry they used to carry tw up to twenty four submarine launch ballistic missiles, but because of strategic arm limitation treaty, which is called SALT, SALT two. They had to put ballast in in four of the tubes, and they're limited to the number of reentry vehicles, bombs, hydrogen bombs, whatever you want to call 
the warheads on the uh, Trident 2s. But when they go out and patrol, they can carry up to four warheads per missile. So you have 20 times four. Uh, that gives you 80 hydrogen bombs that can hit within neighborhood of uh, 10 feet where they want to hit. So hydrogen bombs are like hand grenades, close counts. And they're out there, and no one knows where they're where they're at. The <laughs> there's only three people who know where an Ohio boat, when it's on patrol, where it's located. They're in a, approximately 150,000 square miles of either the North Atlantic or the North Pacific. And the three people who know where they're at are the the captain, the the executive officer, officer also referred to as the XO, and the navigator. That is it. The president doesn't know. The chairman, you know, the uh, chairman of the joint, joint chiefs doesn't know. The the uh, uh, chief of naval operations uh, has an idea. He knows where about where they're at, but it's in 150,000 square miles. And an Ohio boat on patrol, they'll go down to about 400 feet and down to about 700 feet. They can go to a thousand feet, but there's no need for it. And they'll go at four knots. And you can walk that fast, and it just goes a zigzag pattern back and forth in this area of responsibility, which is 150,000 square miles. And multiple times during the week, I don't know if they don't if they do it daily, but there are places they placed equipment on the bottom of the ocean that they know precisely within inches of where it's at, and every uh, every time the sub is near one of those, it'll go and it'll hover over there and it'll update its gyros. And that improves the accuracy of the uh, inertial navigation systems in the warheads of the missiles that are in the launch tubes. And they do that every day. They practice uh, emer- uh, emergency drills. If you've seen Crimson Tide with Denzel mm-hmm. Washington, and uh, Gene Hackman, uh, when they when they went through the streets of Wanda Fuga, I did the same thing. I was up in the top of the sail of the uh, uh, USS Henry M. Jackson, which is uh, SSBN uh, 730, and I looked back and I knew there was a you know, hundred hydrogen bombs on board, and I just sort of smiled and said, "Denzel and uh, Gene have absolutely nothing <laughs> on me." <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask you, the, the, the year that we're speaking, and we won't be publishing this until next year because we're almost at the end of the year of yeah. 2023, some have called this the year of the submarine for the U.S. Navy, and there are new details that are being learned about this trilateral security pact, AUKUS, uh, turning you know a lot of public attention to the various issues that are involved with our U.S. Navy and its submarine inventory. And there's some problems, too. I mean, the shipyards are having some difficulty. I know at Electric Boat, I keep hearing advertisements because they've gotten some new orders, and yet they need more people who can build these uh, remarkable uh, craft, and they're having difficulty finding enough people. It's also a year when this silent service began to grapple with that whole moniker and whether, in fact, uh, you know, they wanted to be as silent as they have been. Because you're telling us things today, James, that a lot of people 
may have thought about, if they didn't see the movie, they don't know much about, they probably have no idea that these uh, boats are patrolling the world seas on our behalf and the capabilities that they have and the deterrent effect that they have. During the con construction of the Virginia-class submarines, those are the repla they're replacing the Los Angeles-class, the 688 family. And they had built 62 of those uh, starting in the early 1960s. And it's it's still a very, very capable submarine. As a matter of fact, we're we're... I think we're going to give the Australians a couple of our newer 688 boats, Los Angeles-class boats, and we're going to probably build five Virginia-class for them. But for the United States Navy, when they deliver two Virginia-class submarines to the Navy once they're, you know, once they're commissioned, then that, that allows the Navy to retire three of the early Los Angeles class. So it's it's two it's two for three. And anytime you see if you still see a submarine uh, leaving Groton or, or no matter in your naval uh, submarine base, if it has bow planes on top of the sail and it's not an Ohio boat, it is it is an early model Los Angeles class and and those are all uh, disappearing. The thing about the uh, you were talking about a uh, an agreement we have with some of our our neighbors. Well, we have with Australia, the United Kingdom, this August right. Defense Pact that was announced in March, but Congress needed to implement the agreement, and uh, the defense bill that was just authorized does that, including Australia buying these three nuclear-powered submarines from the U.S. Um, but the first transfer is not expected to happen until the early 2030s. But how significant is this? Well, it, it, gives, it gives Australia, which is, which is one, of the, one of the very few allies that we would share our technology uh, with, but allows them to have the latest, most secure. And they need, they need a deterrent against aggression from China. You know, China, you know, China is rattling its swords. It wants to take over uh, Taiwan. That's and that's that's why we have actually uh, gone into port in in uh, North in South Korea with the USS Michigan, which is one of the arsenal boats. It's an it's an early model Ohio class boat that was its nuclear capability was was uh, removed. They modified it. To carry instead of one submarine launch ballistic missile in each one of their 24 launch tubes, they made us. They put seven Tomahawk cruise missiles in each one of those holes. With so when a, when a SSGN when with one one of the four arsenal boats go on patrol or go to you know go somewhere where there's problems, they can carry up to 154 cruise missiles. That can hit within three or four feet of their target, and you know, and fly fifteen or sixteen hundred uh, nautical miles. So they can they can hit every significant uh, location within within China, or on the other side with you know you know within uh, if, if we're in the Indian Ocean or in the Mediterranean, we can hit every target in in Iran. So we have we have a we have an incredible amount of capability, and and what 
what they did in in South Korea, they brought in two fast attacks, which they never they hadn't done in a long time, and an Ohio boat. This was a uh, uh, the USS uh, Michigan. They brought it into port into uh, South Korea, much to, <laughs> much to the uh, the North Koreans being really really upset about it. But because they know what the capability is, they can you know they can rattle their swords and they can make all sorts of threats about this and that and whatever. But in the back of their mind, they always said, ah, those SOBs still have their you know their ballistic missile submarines and both the fast attacks, the ballistic missiles, and the uh, arsenal boats. They're out there, and there's no, and they can't find them. They have no idea where they're at. <laughs> well, President Biden, of course has been working a lot on the industrial base of America in various ways. There is this need, we are told, for our naval industrial base to continue to ramp up because of the replacement of various classes, because this is so important to us, even though we don't talk about it a lot, but we're less silent about it than we have been. I'm wondering whether you think that as we listen in to what's going on with Taiwan, and we're told now that President Xi said to President Biden, we intend uh, to bring Taiwan back into the Chinese fold. What these ships mean, because President Biden said, yes, we've got this ambiguity, but let me be less ambiguous. We're not going to let it happen. And yes, we would defend Taiwan. So tell me what the submarines play as a role in all of this. Well, unlike the Russian-Ukrainian uh, conflict, they have a hundred miles of open ocean that they have to traverse to it to launch an attack on Taiwan. We have satellites. I mean, we have we have spy satellites that are that are over that part of the world every day. If there's going to be a big naval assault with landing craft, we're going to know about it. They're not, and they don't have a lot of large transports like the C-5 or the C-17 that we have for paratroopers. And I have never seen a video uh, released by the Chinese showing their paratrooping uh, capabilities. I'm sure they have it, but not to the capability that you know that we had during you know during World War II, for example. So they don't they don't have the the ability. To cross that hundred miles of open ocean without being detected, I have to believe that we have fast attacks in the area at all times. They have eighteen fast attacks are assigned and based out of Pearl Harbor. They have another three or four that are uh, permanently assigned and based out of uh, Guam. They're at Polaris Point, so we have you know we have the deterrent in the area. And we could very easily, you know, if they were large ships, large LSTs type of uh, ship that's going to be able to bring a, a thousand troops on uh, onto shore. You realize how how many ships you would need to move a, a an army large enough to conquer the uh, the island of of uh, Formosa? Mm. I don't. I don't think so. I mean, they can rattle their swords, but I, I think I think they're going to go down in flames. I haven't heard Taiwan 
uh, called Formosa in a long time. I do want to say this, that Vice Admiral Bill Houston, the Navy's top operational submariner, he uh-huh. talked to reporters recently. He said part of the messaging is, as submariners, we operate everywhere that we're allowed to operate across the globe. And he said, comparing it to another event in July, which you referred to, when an American boat surfaced at a South Korean port, a first in decades. And then he said, and just like I wouldn't answer a previous question about where my submarines that I haven't reported are, nobody will know where my submarines that I haven't reported are because that's our asymmetric advantage. Absolutely. The bank guys know what our capabilities are when it comes to submarine warfare. And they also know that they have no idea where in the heck they're at. <laughs> and and that and that's that's the deterrent. And one of the reasons at one time and I and and it was really protested, but it this was what last yeah, a year, year and a half ago, maybe a little bit longer, just to let the world and the bad guys know the United States Navy under orders from command authority, they all surfaced. And apparently it, 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 uh, scared the bejesus out of, out of bad guys because we had a lot more submarines out there than they, than they thought we had. And that is the deterrent. When you, you know, the old, the old, the old, uh, name, whatever you want to call it, of you're, you know, you're walking down an alley at dark at night in a bad neighborhood. And, you know, you're, you're a Walter Mitty type, you know, size, you know, size guy. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a target. But if you're walking out there and you're, you're packing a 357 or a 44 Magnum, uh, like Dirty Harry, and it's bright and shiny, and, and even though, uh, you know, the, you're not, you're not very big or, you know, the, the adversaries are gonna, are gonna outnumber you, when they realize that you're armed with a small portable cannon, they're going to think twice. Now, back in 2009, I think it was in 2019, when they had the Storm Area 51 event, and there was up to 5 million people responded, say they were coming, which is three times the population of Nevada. Someone asked me, so well, how in the heck are they going to stop a million people trying to Overrun Area 51. <laughs> said, you shoot the guy up front, and that's all you got to do. And everybody realized, oh, I'm next. I'm getting the hell out of here. And <laughs> they turn around and hightail back. People do stupid things, but they're not really stupid. They, they just haven't thought about what the consequences are. And the same goes for what the Chinese want to do with with Taiwan. It's nice that you want to rattle your swords and tell the world you want to do, but you do not have the amphibious assault capabilities of United States Marines. They practice that every day. You go, you go down at uh, I-5 and go, go by Camp Pendleton, uh, you can see all sorts of ships off the, uh, off the coast. You can, you know, you can see the big Elcats, those are the, uh, Big monstrous things that uh, fly in a cr- uh, air cushion, and they're launched out of uh, you know, ships at sea. They bring in they bring in a, a whole platoon or, or, or more of, uh, of Marines. The, na- the 
Chinese do not have that capability. So how in the heck are they going to get all their warriors from the mainland across 100 miles of open ocean? Yeah, that's fascinating. You uh, had a forward written for the book, and in it, it said that the uh, nuclear-powered subfleet that we have is one of the most successful military programs ever executed, equivalent going from sail to steam in the 19th century. Now, I know... You love spooky aircraft and black <laughs> yeah. programs. You're an Air Force guy, but you certainly know what's going on in the Navy as well. Why is it that they haven't in 60, 70 years been able to at least begin to catch up with us? Because this is a program that, as you say, with Hyman Rickover, started a very long time ago. What makes us better than them? Oh, how could you say that, you know, that we're better than everybody else? Because we are. That's that's why we have people, you know, trying to, you know, knock on our door or sneak into our country because this is the best place in the world to be. It can be really screwed up at times, but it's a heck of a lot better that, that whatever is in second place. We have a lot of dear friends in the UK and in Canada, and, you know, we can complain about, you know, our, you know, our government, but it doesn't compare to theirs. I mean, it's, it cracks me up. Now, I, I am, uh, I have always been fascinated with military, uh, equipment. I was raised under military dictatorship. My dad was born and raised in the infantry, and my grandfather was born and raised in the infantry, and my great-grandfather was. But I, I broke the, I broke the mold. I wasn't an officer, and I went into the Air Force. And I had, uh, I had, uh, a total of 27 years of, uh, military service, which I'm very proud of. But we have, what makes what makes our military better is free enterprise. Men and women go to work at electric boat or or at uh, Newport News shipbuilding because that's what they want to do. That's where the pay is good. You know, they have a, you know they have a good career path. They have good retirement benefits and everything else. And you can pick and choose where you want to go. In the former Soviet Union, you were picked. As a young person, I'm talking about still in diapers, where, you know, where they thought you would best serve uh, Mother Russia. So you didn't have a choice. So you don't have the enthusiasm. You don't have capitalism that would allow you to be successful in some, something other than what the government wanted you to do. So it, 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 and it, affects, everything. it affects everything you build. I mean, one of, one of the perfect examples is during World War II, they, they were over, I think they were over Romania, and they got all, one of their, uh, their flight of B-24s got all shot up. But all it did was punch holes. It did, nothing blew up. So they, you know, the aircraft got back to, uh, a depot, wherever it may be, and they're going in and they're, they're repairing the holes in the wings where a cannon shell had gone through and hadn't come out the other end, but it hadn't blown up. And they found these warheads, and they opened them up to see why they didn't detonate. And there were notes <laughs> written by you know, their uh, uh, prisoners of war that were being forced to you know, to make the uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I've seen that in other cases as well. Fascinating. And we see yeah. what the kleptocracy and the oligarchy uh, in Russia produces uh, as they try to stave off, uh, you know, a determined Ukrainian group with a lot of our weaponry. Listen, I have to run because you've just been so fascinating and we've gone over what I, we normally do. But I want to thank you so much and encourage people to get this book, Nautilus to Columbia, 70 years of the U.S. Navy's nuclear submarines. James Goodall, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing all your knowledge here on America Trends. I'm absolutely delighted 